Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Vlarkis and I'm an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist and of course your host. And in today's episode, we have a return guest, Courtney Pollock from Her Exercise Physiology. She's an accredited exercise physiologist And she has expertise in all things reproductive health, pelvic health, pregnancy, and postpartum. And she's also one of our amazing contributors to our one-of-a-kind online fertility program, Fertility 360. If you haven't heard of Fertility 360 before, it is a first-of-its-kind, 100% online program available to people worldwide designed to give you a 360-degree approach to preconception and fertility health. We combine experts from medicine, nutrition, exercise, and psychology to bring you a complete experience in terms of education and practical tools to help you on your conception journey. So if you are thinking about starting to try to conceive later this year or into next year, 2023, it's actually not that far away, then you should absolutely check out this program. It is way more affordable than seeing all these types of professionals individually, and you're going to learn a lot. We had 100 people join us in January, and we are excited to be bringing it back again, new and improved. And if you want to secure your spot, head to the link in the show notes below. You can also find out more information there. So without any further ado, let's welcome back Court to the podcast. Welcome back, Court, to the podcast. I think you might be the guest that we have had on twice in this podcast, so you're very special. I do feel special. It's exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who don't know, back in Season 2 of Fertility Friendly Food, I brought on Court, who is an exercise physiologist, to talk about fertility and fertility treatments and exercise, and it is still one of our most popular episodes. Uh, Lots of you ask me lots of questions about physical activity, and it is not my jam, so I called in the experts (laughs) to help. And so Court is back. Uh, She's one of the lovely contributors to Fertility 360. But for those who missed that other episode, which I'll leave linked in the show notes, Court, can you tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, I would love to. Um, Well, first of all, I'm an exercise physiologist, so I have a university degree basically that covers prescription for exercise for chronic and complex health conditions. I personally specialize in women's health and I run a virtual clinic so that I can see women pretty much anywhere that they are. I love being able to help uh, ladies who are located in places that may not have access to any sort of resources or services 
exercises like myself. And yeah, so basically I do a lot of mostly pelvic health, uh, pregnancy, postnatal recovery, um, things like that with um, my exercise prescription and treatment. So that's a bit about me. Yes. And I want to talk a little bit about exercise and trying to conceive when I'm working with people who are proactively working on their fertility and preconception health, which is a lot of our listeners. Oftentimes there is a focus on physical activity and the routines around this. But I do find sometimes when I'm working with clients who are trying to conceive and trying to implement some lifestyle changes, that it may be one of the first times for a long time or ever that they're attempting to build a bit of a routine around their exercise. So I was wondering if you could share some of your top tips for building a bit of a habit and routine when it comes to physical activity and exercise. Yeah, this is a really tough one for a lot of people because it actually does take a bit of work, really. Like, you know, you can't just start and hope that it keeps happening. Like, you actually have to put in a fair bit of effort and you have to kind of see it as a bit of a long-term commitment because it is something that takes time to see changes. So it is, is definitely hard. And if if there's someone or people who are listening to this going, yes, that is so hard, that is me, I struggle every time, like, you're not alone, number one. So please don't feel like you're the only person struggling. Um, but I think the... The biggest issue I normally see is people trying to overcommit straight off the bat. So they normally have like this unrealistic expectation of them doing something five days a week for an hour because that's what Google says they should do or their friends tell them to do or what their expectation is when you're exercising. So I think really changing your mindset about what is realistic for you, number one, what is I guess, manageable and achievable for you. So this could be like, it could just be a matter of starting two days a week of doing some sort of activity like whatever that might be for you. We can talk about that a bit later, but two times a week and then maybe working on improving that. So whether you start with two sessions a week at 20 minutes of movement and then increase that to half an hour and then add another day in as you get a little bit more routine. And you really need to think about picking something that's actually enjoyable because so many people just pick an exercise that they think they should do because they've seen it on social media or they've read about it and they don't really like it. They just do it because they feel like they have to. So exercise can be quite enjoyable, right? I mean, like I know that you're a bit of a dancer. So that is something that you would probably prefer to do over maybe going for a run, for example. So no runs. Pick something that you actually enjoy because it's going to be way more motivating to go and do. You're probably going to commit to it and stick to it a little bit longer. And also scheduling it in. So picking a really good time for that works for you and making it like an appointment, I think works really, really well because I know there's so many people that are like, I'll do that today, I'll do that today, and they never actually get around to doing it. And that way you can pick a time in the week that suits you. So if you're going two days a week for 30 minutes, you know that Tuesdays is a day where you have a bit more free time at certain, it might, might be afternoon, might be the morning, you start work a little bit later, whatever that might be, then you can kind of schedule it in that way and know that that every week you're going to do it on those days helps to build a lot more habit and routine. And then I think the final issue that I mostly see is that there's everybody has a a barrier to exercise. It'll be something like if you're somebody who likes to exercise outside or you like to go walking, then if the weather is terrible, you need a backup plan. And a barrier is going to be that, that like the weather, the weather is a barrier. So you need to have that already planned in place for you to do that. So it could be like, if you're going to go for a walk with your friend or your partner, and then that person bails out, that's not going to stop you from going. What's your backup plan? So I think figuring out what your barriers are before you actually 
come across them is really helpful when it comes to like starting to build habits and routines because we're always looking for excuses to not do exercise I think I know that's pretty common for people when they're first mm-hmm. starting and they're not really super keen like on actual exercise it might be quite really quite hard or, and a lot of effort for them to be doing this mm-hmm. if you're feeling a lot you're not feeling very good at it number one and you're probably feeling really unfit so yeah there's um those are probably like my top tips when it comes to like starting out and trying to build a habit you really have to focus on what meets your needs and what fits in with you and get rid of all of these ideas about what you should be doing and what you know like it's it definitely is easier to start with what you actually like doing (laughs) absolutely wholeheartedly agree and I think I've definitely gone through my own phases with exercise of trying to do what is trendy or what other people are doing just to you know, sometimes it's cool to explore, but, you know, I always default back to the types of movement and activities that I have loved for a very long time, like dance. And yeah, it's so much easier to get up and go. Like I go every Monday at 8.30 PM. I don't get home till 10 PM. Like it's freezing cold. It's dark. It's hard to find a car spot, but because I like it, all those barriers go out the window and I still go. Yeah, 100%. Like, otherwise, if you were like, oh, I've got to go for a run every Monday night at this time because it's the only time I have, like, there's no way you're going to do it. You wouldn't touch me dead running. No, no. I mean, like, I bet you, like, you just, you just come home feeling better and it's not a chore. No. You don't want to feel like it's a chore. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do view exercise as a chore, especially when trying to conceive because they're seeing it for a different purpose of like, oh, this is going to help my cycles or this is going to help me, you know, in pregnancy and this is going to help me have a healthy baby. And all those things are absolutely relevant and true. But if you are begrudgingly doing it, it kind of defeats the mental health benefits of physical activity too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's just the outcome of the exercise. The type of exercise can definitely change or the type of physical activity can change and still get similar outcomes, right? I think that's what people need to kind of understand and know. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here, Corp. There is obviously a bit of a fine line between being active and being too active. And this can often show up when it comes to the menstrual cycle. And this is something that I see very regularly as a fertility dietitian. So what are your suggestions for those people who are aware that potentially their activity levels are something they need to work on reducing when it comes to their fertility health? Potentially their period's gone MIA, they've got no period, maybe they've got hypothalamic amenorrhea, maybe they have a history of an eating disorder. We have episodes on all these topics with other guests, but what what from your perspective as an exercise physiologist are your just top line tips around activity reduction mm, this is a good one because this is this is also very hard for people i bet there's there's people here listening going ah oh, reducing your activity like is that even a thing but yes it is i really feel like i'm i'm huge on education and uh learning and building knowledge and awareness around particular well everything really but I really think that when it comes to over exercising a lot of it boils down to really understanding why or how that over exercising can actually be an issue for your fertility health because I feel like once you start to understand all of this you place a little bit of a different value on the exercise itself and what your primary goal is I guess so if you're starting to build a little bit of education like let's let's talk about over exercising just briefly about like how it has 
uh, a lot of impact on total body inflammation. We know that if you're over-exercising all the time, it's causing lots of inflammation within the body, which is not ideal. But hormonal balancing is another one. So you talked about the menstrual cycle and losing that. So you can really impact that as well. Energy expenditure, you might be expending way too much energy and then in like a bit of a big deficit, which is causing like maybe weight loss and all those are other health issues. But if you understand like that, over-exercising can actually lead to all of these issues. That is probably the key. If you, if you didn't, didn't, don't really know how it's impacting your body or why it's making, like causing all of these issues for you, then I think your ability to make decisions based around like actually cutting back is going to be very hard or your, maybe your reasoning behind it and not seeing the, the actual benefit of that. So I think we've just got this huge focus on exercise for body image, weight loss, muscle gain. That's it. Like it's all an aesthetics thing. I think um, that's sort of where a lot of those issues initially arise. But if you start to look at all of the other other components of it, um, you, you really start to gain a bit of a different perspective and you place a bit of a different value on exercise or physical activity itself. So I think the first key is like really try and learn a little bit more about the over-exercising or the impact over-exercising actually has on health in general, not even just fertility health, but everything. And then I think it's about looking at how you can modify your own program and which parts might need modification. So there can be different ways that you over-exercise. We can think about like too much high intensity all the time. So if you're doing six days a week, seven days a week of really high intensity training, that could be, it might be something like, let's just change a couple of your sessions into a different level of intensity. That could be the first step because cutting out amount of days can sometimes be such a hard thing for people to do, especially if they are in routine and habits. Uh, Maybe they've got a little bit of that mental challenge about cutting back. So switching the actual exercise intensity or like lowering the intensity could be quite an easy way to start doing that. And then obviously you could look at what your total volume is. That's another issue. So it might not be that you're doing too much high intensity. You could just be doing way too much. Like when you consider if you go to the gym every single day and then you're walking every single day and then you might throw in a couple of yoga sessions or a swimming or dance classes, then it becomes a lot across the week. So it might be just reducing the length of your sessions. Or like, maybe it's like, okay, well, maybe I don't need to go for a walk as well as do the gym session every single day. It might not be about that for you. And then it could be what type of exercise are you doing? So we kind of touched a little bit on high intensity. That could mean like dropping the intensity in your gym session, if you're like doing circuit training um, or higher impact activities like that. But it could also be like trying something different. So maybe instead of doing, you know, five gym sessions, it might be like three gym sessions and maybe like two yoga sessions, or maybe you're doing something more like swimming, uh, active sort of more restorative type movements. That is probably going to like be ways that you can start addressing your overactivity levels it's not it it might just be small changes to the total programming or what what you kind of like doing I guess and then I think getting some help to be honest uh with over exercising so that could be exercise physiology like myself and getting like exercise plan for that but it could also be like really diving into why you're over exercising to begin with so maybe it is about like the psychology behind it like what is actually going on for you that's making you do all of this over exercising it might be seeking out some more like uh, therapies to help with that too so it's definitely like got a lot of different factors involved but yeah that would probably be my suggestion for what I commonly see 
in my clinic anyway. Yeah, I think what you noted there was beautiful and I just wanted to build on that, especially for people with hypothalamic amenorrhea and other like period irregularities is that, yeah. you know, there is uh, physical activity at certain levels when you get to higher levels in terms of both volume and intensity is a stressor on the body as well. And so if you're also chronically stressed and then you have oh, an yeah. overactivity, you could technically in theory be eating enough to fuel the activity, but you can still lose your period because it's just a compound of too much stress, both physical and mental. And in addition, I think a lot has to be answered for in the culture, just in the media landscape, online landscape of, you know, often we're glorifying people who uh, exercise a lot. You know, I, I think a, a really key example of this is I notice a lot on TikTok, there's a lot glorification of being quote unquote, that girl and the amount of activity that is being demonstrated is, you know, high, very high, uh, but they often don't share what's going on with their reproductive health or their cycle. And so we have to, you know, take a big grain of salt. And I think as well, the other, like the older media that I think about is it's always been, you know, every Christmas and every Easter, it's like how many minutes spent running to burn off this chocolate? Like we're seeing it as an, an energy exchange and it's simply not that. And we really need to shift people's thinking yeah. about the role of activity in their life. And I think a lot of people use exercise to help soothe their feelings about their food and so the relationship with both food and exercise become highly intertwined and there is also like people that I would say are almost like addicted to exercise and you know if you told them to stop that they really really struggle uh, very hard oh 100% but and I also think like it really does boil down to like, what is it about that addictive addiction to exercise? Like, why is that person doing that? Yeah. Like, is it actually a fear of weight gain? Is it a poor relationship with food? And the actual exercise itself isn't yes. something that they're addicted to. It's the outcome of that exercise. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's definitely like that's the vesicle to get the result really it could be. So you know, I know that there are people that generally love doing the exercise and the movement and they actually enjoy it and they're doing very good levels of exercise. Um, and they're not really, I guess, strung up on maybe the aesthetics of the outcome of the exercise itself. But yeah, I think it's really does like boil down to what, why, why are you doing all of this? And where would you might need help? That's not necessarily changing your program because you could still be struggling mentally with coping with all of that because of all these other factors. So mm, totally focusing on joyful movement. Yes. There is more to exercise than just changing the shape of your body. <laughs> Absolutely agree. And same with, same goes with nutrition. Too. Oh yeah. Well, that's the most misunderstood part of probably both of our jobs that we share. I know. And I feel like we're constantly both fighting so yeah. many social media posts uh, on what we're trying to, I guess, teach right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. So a common question that I get asked a lot, Court, is should females modify their activity levels or types of exercise depending on the phase of their menstrual cycle. So the follicular phase, which is before you ovulate, and the luteal phase, which is after you ovulate. And is there any like supporting research about this? Because I'm seeing, again, 
TikTok, mm. Instagram, I see this all the time. Like when you're ovulating, do this. And when you're, I'm like, well, you, you only ovulate for like a period of 24 hours. It's really, like, it's a really fleeting situation. Like what's, what, uh, explain. <laughs> yeah. So this is a really like, oh, I've seen some, it's actually quite an interesting topic because I've really seen a lot of change in this in the past you know, five or six years or something that I've sort of really been diving deeper into the women's health side of things. But like once it sort of became a popular concept of like, oh, you should train according to your menstrual cycle. Then it like blew up into this whole, yes, you should be following lower intensity in this phase and higher intensity in this phase. And typically you would see that you should move away from higher intensity exercise during that luteal phase. This is all like hormonal changes and obviously your body being able to respond to different types of exercise better, your recovery changes. You should train harder during that follicular phase because of your hormonal levels. And I just think like that that was, that's sort of what's typically promoted. But realistically, there are so much variability in how women respond to those hormonal changes. I actually did a poll of this on my Instagram because I was quite interested to see like, you know, what do people actually notice if they do pay attention to their own cycle? And I had so much variability in the results. Like some women were like, they felt the strongest and the most fit during menstruation when they actually had their period. And then other women were like bedridden during that time. And they're like, I just feel terrible. I can't get any, I can't get energy. I'm like, don't recover very well. And then it was also the same for like different different phases. So luteal versus like follicular as a whole. And some were like so, so great at their higher intensity training, like right before their period. And others couldn't even go to the gym at that point in time. And they're like, no, nah, I don't even do anything. I just walk. And it was very, really, like really interesting to hear that from people rather than research the research is not super strong in like yes you should do this no you should do that and I mean when you consider other how much of our lifestyle impacts hormonal changes every month so like for example your menstrual cycle hormonal changes can change in itself according to other lifestyle problems factors like what you're eating during that time what you've been sleeping like traveling gut health your digestive system hydration you can't factor in every single component every single month and then try and navigate which training load is going <laughs> to be more beneficial for you it's just like There's way too many components. So I personally and have been coming across more evidence that's like you should really just be tracking your own cycle and how you personally feel, how you respond to exercise. So I want you to think about if you were to start tracking and you haven't done this before and you've got no idea, it's more like how do you feel when you exercise? What is your total volume and load that you can handle without feeling like you're not being able to recover or you can't sleep or you have to eat excessive amount of food because you're so hungry and you can't quite um, meet the energy demands? And then track that for your month, maybe a couple of months, and see what happens and see how you actually feel. And if you might notice in yourself, you know what, I actually do respond so much better when I switch my exercise routine to do higher intensity at the end of the month, whatever it might be for that individual, because everyone is so different. I honestly can't stress that enough. And it's not about like, you should follow this and you should follow that because that is just 
also it's just not realistic. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just thinking all my PMDD clients who have, you know, significant mental health and physical health concerns that come up immediately after ovulation, you know, exercise can be a real big struggle. And even my endo clients, like around the time of ovulation can be painful, Mm. preamble to a period can be quite painful or like upsetting to the gut. And then you add like exercise on top and that can be a bit of a gut irritant, like if you went for a run or something like that. So there's so many factors and I think you know often these kinds of blanket recommendations about you should do this in this phase and you should do that in that phase Mm. are coming from you know people with pain-free no significant issues with their period on a 28-day cycle and they're ovulating on day 14 and it's textbook and I increasingly am struggling to find these people that have cycles like that Maybe I'm biased, but I don't know who these unicorns are with 28-day cycles over there, day 14, and a pain-free the whole way through, and no PMS and no nothing. Uh, who are these people? <laughs> I, I won't lie. I'm, I'm almost in that category. <laughs> oh, immediately my listeners are tuning out. No, <laughs> no, but that's the thing, right? Like because your lifestyle contributes so much to those hormonal changes and hormonal balancing too. Mm-hmm. So like unless like I, I don't have any hormonal health conditions mm-hmm. myself. I'm quite like grateful for that. I haven't, haven't had a history of that. Meanwhile, my teenage years on the other hand were a whole nother story and I would have said I had significant estrogen problems during that time and it was based on food I was eating supplements I was probably taking that were trying to help me with weight loss because that's what my focus was um, maybe excessive amounts of processed sugars not being able to I didn't have a very good digestive health so I couldn't really like actually eliminate estrogens very well from my body and I definitely would have been in that category of like super heavy periods very very problematic PMSing like pain and it wasn't until I kind of got a little bit more into that health and understanding like how everything contributes to all of these like I guess bodily functions that I was like wow I really need to make some changes in my lifestyle and at the time like I was still like on the healthy in brackets I'm like I got my little speech bubbles here healthy life of like going to the gym and taking supplements and eating lots of protein and trying to like take my protein powders and all of this type of like, I want to say dumb stuff now, but <laughs> I know there's people still doing it, but like getting caught up in that health side, that's not really actually that healthy. Um, and it wasn't until I, yeah, really did focus on like improving my sleep and improving my digestive health that things started to improve. Yeah. And I think as well, like there's nothing wrong with resting. There's nothing wrong with a day of no movement. no. No. Like you're not going to burst into flames. Less is more. <laughs> Less is more. Sometimes, oh, this, yeah, I mean, there's so many analogies I could go through right now about less <laughs> is more. <laughs> like makeup is a good one. I like to use makeup for those people who need a bit yeah. of visual. Like sometimes not enough makeup is, you know, you feel a bit yuck. And then too much makeup is like you feel a bit yuck. Mm. <laughs> And you're like, whoa, calm down. Yeah. And in the middle is nice. It's like, and you get so much better results when you rest. Your your results from exercise come from your sleep and your rest and recovery. Mm. During exercise, you damage cells, you damage fibers, and then your body is designed to re- recover and replace. Yeah. And if you're continually damaging and not recovering and replacing, you don't get results. Hear, hear. So get on the rest bandwagon. <laughs> yeah. I am actually a prime example of this because I used to overexercise quite a lot. Mm. under sleep and under eat and um i also found that 
as soon as I cut back to like, I want to say like three or four sessions a week, I got better results. Mm. I felt so much better. And I was like, wow, I actually feel so much better. Mm-hmm. And the stress around not missing a session is also so much better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can wholeheartedly agree I used to overexercise too but I didn't use it as a physical um I didn't do it for a physical health reason I did it for my mental health and I just I I, it was almost like a a crutch yep um that I would use to like get me through when I was having a a hard time mentally and so I was uh, I don't know how I had this level of commitment at the time looking back I was like what the heck oh no I don't I don't I don't think it was healthy so I don't think I would want it back but I would wake up at 10 to 5 in the morning drive to the gym in the dark go to the gym for an hour six or seven days a week and then go to placement for uni because I was really struggling on placement mentally and so yeah and it, it was just I didn't have a program I didn't follow any structure I just went in there and I just smashed myself basically to try to I think it was a way to distract myself from what I was going through mentally yeah yeah I was I was just thinking about that the other day I was like oh Times are so different now. <laughs> yeah, wow. But um, I was like, you wouldn't catch me dead out of bed at 4.50 a.m. No way. Yeah. Oh, it was brutal. It was so brutal. And I was like, 4.50. I was like, oh, man, that's way too early. <laughs> I have tried so many times to exercise in the morning. Okay, this is another tip from before. I am not a morning exerciser, and I've just come to the fact that I'm like, you know what, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I don't like it. I don't get very good, like, actual workouts from it, and it doesn't work for me. But if you if you're like that, do we exercise at a different time of the day? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've always had this hang-up that it had to be in the morning and it's only recently I've shifted it. And I, my brain switches off around 2 p.m. with work and I don't, yeah. not very productive. And so now I just do my work as a 2 p.m. because I need to get away from my desk anyway. I'm not being very productive. Might as well go do it. A workout at that stage so oh, it makes a difference and you don't have to do it at the same time every day maybe some days are morning some days are afternoon sometimes a night it's okay <laughs> I know I know I agree I'm the same we glorify the routine too much we talked a little bit about barriers earlier what do you see beyond what we talked about we talked a little bit about weather people being held back from exploring exercise and physical activity in their lives when it comes to their preconception health I is it is it is it being time poor? Is it pain? Is it injuries? Is it other symptoms like menstrual cycle symptoms encroaching on the capacity to exercise or something else altogether? Or like mm. I don't know, from your experience seeing lots of people, what do you find are the biggest walls to getting a little bit of positive momentum when it comes to physical activity? I think for me, um, I mean, most people are reaching out to me because they're like, they need help with exercise. They're not just sort of trying to self-navigate it. Well, they they probably have been up until now. Um, (laughs) But most of them don't really know like what to actually do to be honest, or what, how to fit it into their schedule. Um, Like, I think when you've been out of routine for a really long time with exercise, you're kind of like, how do I even start doing this? Like, do I go to the gym? Do I go to a group class? Do I just go for a walk? Like, I think finding 
actually figuring out how to or what to actually do with their exercise routine. I think people think they need to follow rules with it, um, but they don't. And I think they also need to understand that it really, really also depends on what your goals are. I'm constantly talking to people about like, what is it that you want to achieve through your exercise or need to achieve maybe? So if you are trying to work on your fertility health, like your goal is to exercise for your fertility health rather than another maybe health marker or benefit. So most people end up just falling down this tunnel of Google searching and trying to work it out themselves and navigate, you know, what might be, let's say, preconception health. What what should I be doing for preconception health and what is the best thing? And then they just get confused and overwhelmed. So they just don't do it. And it becomes easier to just either ignore it or keep putting it off maybe, or they seek help. That's probably the first issue. And then the second one, like I usually see a lot of people with this fear of starting and commitment. So it could be like a lot of people have like a lot of anxiety about either going to a gym or going to a group class for the first time and feeling maybe not capable. Um, Like I'm not fit enough for this. Like I don't think I could last a whole hour at the gym like in a gym class or a Pilates class or whatever it might be, um, or even just feeling like a bit nervous about mm. people judging them because sometimes you get that vibe from a gym if you haven't been there for a while. I think that's really big is like this the fear around actually starting and knowing that you're committing to something. Um, and a lot of the time I also see is the cost and affordability, especially when I hear a lot about like I'd really like to do like two sessions away a week of like some weight training because I want to get stronger, but I also really want to do Pilates and I love yoga. But when you actually add up a gym membership plus regular Pilates classes and yoga classes, if they're not like within that same membership, membership you end up outlaying so much money for it and people are just like I can't afford to do all of that I or I don't I don't want to be out I don't want to dedicate it might not be they can't afford it but they might not want to dedicate that much uh for that especially like if you're trying to plan for a baby Mm -hmm. I mean there's a fair few expenses involved Mm -hmm. with that so it, it becomes like a cost factor as well so those are probably the main barriers I usually see with that because Most of the other things are usually, like you said, hormonal uh, or menstrual cycle issues and pain. But a lot of people have been going through that a long time and kind of know how to manage that themselves now and Mm. understand, like, I just don't do something when this happens. Um, I can kind of keep my routine up until then. But getting, getting started is usually those main barriers, I see. Yeah. Yep. I can so relate to the, like, fear of judgment one. I think a lot of my clients that I see also experience that. But the thing that I always say to people is, and like I have to say this to myself too, but you don't get better at the activity by not doing it. Like no one's walking into their first spin class and not dripping in sweat and are puffed out and are exhausted. Like everybody is. I've had a few experiences because I have very bad asthma where I've had to like step out of like group classes and things like that. And I would feel so embarrassed because I think people, because my feeling was, oh, people think I'm unfit. Yeah. And yeah, and like, which is okay if you're unfit as well. But like, I couldn't determine if I was just unfit or if I was having an asthma attack. And I didn't really want to walk that line and end up in an ambulance, which would be a million times more attention seeking than just stepping out and, you know, sitting out for a few rounds of the um, session. And so like, who, like, 
in, in the big scheme of things, I think we overthink these things. Most people that go to the gym or go to a group class, they're there to focus on their own health and well-being, their own exercise routine. They're not looking at you judging yep. what pair of tights you bought, what your body looks like, how much huffing and puffing you're doing. Nobody cares. Like nobody cares. Like think about how many times you have been in that situation. Have you sat there and analysed everybody else around you? No. So no one's doing it to you. Yeah, it's actually quite a funny thing because I I used to work in like um, I've worked in a lot of gyms and a couple of them were like I am a massive advocate for weights training and I used to work like I used to train a lot in the weight section and I know that a lot of females will say like, oh, I don't do the weights because I'm a bit too scared to go into there and that's where the boys train and um, I just don't really know what I'm doing in that section, (laughs) which is fair enough. But like so many times like I would just catch those people that they're nervous of just watching themselves in the mirror. Like they wouldn't even know you're there. Like they would probably be so caught up in like their own weights training and looking at themselves, those those people that you're actually scared of that you think are judging you and like making you feel uncomfortable don't even realise you're there because no. they're a little, like those people are usually a little bit self-absorbed, but they do not care. I even asked a couple of those people like, hey, what would you say if you saw like, you know, a chick in here that might not really know what she's doing. They'd be like, oh, I'd be like, yeah, go girl. Like, It's really awesome yeah. to see girls having a crack at this type of stuff or having a go. And I just think like everybody else is like 50% of the people in the room are probably mm. feeling the same with their fitness. Like Everyone's there because they're trying to achieve their goal anyway. So mm-hmm. And if you're working at a level that's appropriate yeah. for adaptations, yeah, everybody should feel like it's hard because it's relative to your level of fitness. So, yeah, like people that are fit are still puff, huffing and puffing and sweating. It's hard at all stages. Sometimes I wish that it would be okay to just wear like a little learner's badge. <laughs> like this is my like this is my first time in the class and I feel like that would just make you feel so much better. It's like, wouldn't it? Like if you just were like, haven't been here before, it's my first time. But then you also don't want to feel yeah. so judged, I guess. But Yeah. I've been to a few gym uh, like exercise classes where they'll be like who's new here and instead of like you know how you just find yourself in the back because you're like I don't know anybody here yeah they'll be like you come to the front and you do it with me at the front so I can see what you're doing I can correct your technique as you go and like it just became the tradition it was so much better um to do that because it's like everybody knows and nobody's like judging you but it just helps so much more to just be at the front and you know, observing and yeah. the teacher more closely than, yeah, hanging out in the back trying to be anonymous. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I would feel about sitting at the front, though, if I was a newbie. I would be a bit nervous, I think. Oh, I, f- I found it so much better because then I could just look at the teacher and not everyone behind me. So much better. Yeah, I'm just imagining like a whole bunch of mirrors <laughs> and like everyone's just like looking at each other. Yeah. But I definitely think it makes you feel better when everyone knows you're new. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like where yeah. do you draw the line at being new? <laughs> like how many times can you say it's, it's my, my tenth time, time I'm new? Yeah. I've been here for six months, but I'm still new. <laughs> my fitness has not improved that much yet. But yeah. Oh, isn't it funny? Us humans are hilarious when it comes to that. <laughs> we we truly are. Things about we truly are. Oh no. Social psychology is absolutely fascinating. Yep. Um Now, as a Fertility360 contributor, Court, what is your favourite part of being involved in the program? I 
like I said earlier, I'm a massive fan of education. I really feel like so many things, you can change so many aspects of anything that you do in life if you just have education around it. And I think with health and fitness, like everything is so such a blur. There is so much done incorrectly, like over-exercising. People never really like know that's actually a thing until you need to improve some sort of health aspect. Um, I think the fact that it's just so much education about like what you can't find on the internet or Google yourself, or it's also taught by people who are generally know what they're talking about, actually are qualified. (laughs) I'd love to say that I see so much stuff that's just from like people replicating other like uh, content or ideas and maybe not really knowing the in-depth side of things. So this that my favorite part is that it's really good quality education and content for people that really need the help that want to focus on that. And the fact that you can get four healthcare practitioners all together in the one spot teaching you about one concept is something that is so hard to find anywhere else. Like even if you were to go see your GP and then find someone and ask for a referral to an exercise physiologist or a dietitian, like finding someone who has really good access to those people um, or knows has a good relationship with those other practitioners that are on the same page with what they maybe believe in in terms of like um, their approach to those sort of uh, therapies is really, really hard to find. And then having to actually go to another clinic and then get help, like I just think that's just so difficult. You can just sit in this program and learn all of it from the comfort of your home and it's so much more affordable than going to see all these people you get a lot more content like the stuff that I provide I guess is coming in lessons that like I would have to have like multiple consultations with someone to like get all of this out and teach them and give them programs and advice around things so like this is just such a uh, I actually cannot speak highly of this enough like it's such a great program and it's really something that's needed for a lot of people like everybody should go through this, I think, because mm. it's fertility. Everyone needs to like learn about this at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And like for me, I wanted to create a bridge between what high school PE classes or health classes, you know, taught us about periods and how to not have a baby. But then nobody teaches you when you are ready to have a baby what you can be doing. Yes, And it's not just go to your doctor, get some blood tests done and take a prenatal vitamin and Bob's your uncle. Yeah, Sure, those things are pertinent, but it's not the only things. And when we approach preconception and fertility in a much more whole of person, 360-degree approach way where we're thinking about medicine, we're thinking about diet and lifestyle, we're thinking about exercise, we're thinking about your mental health, Mm. And the potential challenges that can arise along the way because not everybody's path is straightforward. And no. so we're also not only just setting you up for optimal preconception health to conceive and have a happy, healthy pregnancy and a happy, healthy baby, but we're also building tools for people that they can lean on in the case where things may not necessarily go exactly to plan and you need some more help than you've already connected with for clinicians who know this space really well and so I think that really does make such a difference and I see these gaps Mm. in my clients um, teams all the time and I just thought how can I make this more accessible so thank you for being a part of Fertility 360 and I'm so glad that you are part of it and continue to be and we're really excited to be bringing it back 
and kicking off again on the 1st of August. So if you haven't secured your spot yet for round two of Fertility 360, it's we're running it live. It runs for four weeks. Then make sure you grab a spot. The link will be in the show notes and we'll have more information about all the inclusions and all the little tidbits as well. I'm Court- excited. No, me too. Uh, so, Court, where can people find out more about you and what you do and all that good stuff? We'll make sure we'll drop it in the show notes, but just give yourself a little shout out. Yeah, so most of uh, you'll probably find me mostly on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at her.exercise.physiology. Um, and my website also has a lot of information on there, which is www.herexercisephysiology.com.au. And um, that's pretty much it. Amazing. <laughs> Two go-to places. Um, come on over. Give us a follow. Shameless plug because I create great funny reels about pelvic health. <laughs> okay. Everybody needs to go watch Quartz Reels because seriously, they give me like Oscar award-winning performances at times, must say. Like facial expressions Thank you. on point. My drama classes in high school did pay off. <laughs> Return on investment right there. <laughs> I'm like glad I signed up for this in year 12. (laughs) Love that for you. Well, thanks so much for joining me again for another episode. And if you haven't already, make sure you like, follow, share, leave a rating and review. It really helps. We're an unsponsored independent podcast. So like all of those little things make such a difference to us. And I will catch you in the next episode, everyone. Bye.